All right, and welcome back to another episode of Free the Geek FM. In this episode, I have part one of a two-part fireside chat with my mate, Zen Framework aficionado and Rove stalwart, Gary Hocken. We talk about the ins and outs of building both a brand and a reputation as a freelancer. We talk about a range of tools freelancers, as well as full-time employees, can use, including social media, speaking at conferences, and getting on podcasts to build a reputation and a brand for themselves, even if they're still starting out. So join us for this, and as always, much, much more. Hello, 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 and welcome. This evening, I'm sitting here, and I admit perhaps this is skiting, perhaps this is showing off, but this is my last job before heading off to bed, because tomorrow I'm off for a lovely, lovely week of holiday. Okay, this really sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm looking forward to it. This is the this is the annual holiday. We're off to Bulgaria. I... I can only say that I am excited. I get told by my my German teacher, who is Bulgarian, that it's going to be wonderful. Of course, she's Bulgarian. Of course she's going to say that. But hey, from the brochure, from the YouTube video, it looks amazing. So I am doing my best to, you know, to wrap things up quickly, but don't get the wrong idea. I'm not not, uh, cheating off on the episode. I'm not cutting it short. I'm still giving this every bit as much as I like to give in every, every episode. And I hope that you hear in each episode, I am getting more enthusiastic. I'm getting a rhythm. I am loving doing this. You know, the show is, the show is gradually picking up. People have been very, very positive, and I am really appreciative for that, given that, well, here we are at at episode five. So, you know, it's, it's still a really new podcast. So I I just want to say a special thank you to everybody who has supported me who has been kind and and generous with their time, who has given a tweet or an email to say, to say, you know, that, you know, either I'm straight out doing well or to give suggestions as to where I could improve, where I could do better. Now, there's two people I want to pay special mention to in this episode who have, who have been amazing, who I can only say have gone above and beyond the call. And they are my new friend. And I hope I pronounce his name correctly. Henning Glattergutz is H Glattergutz on Twitter. And the second one is Adam Culp, who's Adam Culp on Twitter. Both of them have given me really amazing feedback, whether I've asked for it or whether they have given it themselves. And it's mainly in respect to the audio or little bugs or little problems on the site, little gotchas that I'd missed that I hadn't picked up. I just really want to say a big thank you I apologize, Henning, if I have mispronounced your name. I will definitely do better in future. So I just want to say thank you. Oh, and also a special thank you to Henning for leaving a review on iTunes. Um, I mean, what can I say? For a young show, you know, everything counts. So, hey, if you are listening, while I think of that, if you enjoy the show, please do, you know, consider taking the time to leave a rating on iTunes. And also, if you like a particular episode or you think I missed something or we didn't cover something in the interview, or it could have just could have gone deeper. Please, you know, drop a comment because every episode has discussed comments. I'd really love it. It really, really helps out. Anyway, 
all those things, those preliminary things being said. Today, there's there's a good couple of things I want to talk about, and there are many sort of preliminary things that that support the fireside chat and things I picked up from Gary and things I want to riff off of from my own experience that that sort of he you know that that fireside chat triggered in my mind. And mainly the the thing I really want to start off with is a sense of motivation. You know, you you're a freelancer or you're perhaps a full-time employee and you're just starting freelancing with the idea of in the future you want to to move to it as a full-time thing or maybe not as a full-time thing but you would like to have something to supplement your income to you know make your home life that bit easier to give you money for toys to give you money for say a, a family holiday to in some way just make things more flexible so the first thing i want to say and it's something that I've definitely learned after making many, many mistakes with this, is to ask yourself to get real clarity on what exactly your motivation is. I mean, when I started off, I, I, I had this kind of insane idea that I was going to be the super duper blogger. Not to say that I might not end up that way, but I just had this real broad, abstract idea, but I hadn't even started it. You know, what I learned over the course of time and what's really come home to me, especially today after talking with Troy Hunt and Erica Heidi, is, is really checking your motivation, is saying, you know, why am I doing this or why do I want to do this? And there can be many kind of traps, I think, along the way. These can be you see other people who you admire, you see other people seeming to succeed they seem to have certain you know, trappings of success or doing the things that we consider successful. Or you just see people doing the things that you're not and, and you have that grass is greener on the other side kind of, kind of fixation. And now I'm not saying that it's wrong in any way to see someone who is a super blogger, to sit in the audience at a conference or, or 20 and see people up on stage giving exceptional presentations and being really well critiqued, being given excellent feedback on on such places as joined in. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I am saying is just to consider what your motivation really is. You know, why, why do you want to do this? Have you thought about it for more than five seconds? One key reason for that is that, you know, if you want to do anything well, and, and these two particular things particularly, speaking and blogging, they're going to take time. They will take investment. They will take dedication. They will take diligence. There will be times like such as now with this podcast where it's early days. It's it's initially exciting and great and people say wonderfully, you know, nice things to you. But if you want to gain, gain any real success, any real traction, it takes time you know, time you could be doing something else. Time you could be investing somewhere else. For my own case, I have a lovely little daughter and a lovely wife. So time I spend here, though I love doing it, I, I love yammering away. I, I love researching topics and talking to people and having the pleasure of their time on the show. But it's time that I could be spending with my family. I'm also a very active person, a very sporty person. Time I spend here, time I spend in research. I could be outdoors, you know, I, there's, and those things, those things have a cost as, as my, my new friend Troy Hunt said. And there's also the monetary cost in the equipment you need 
in the investment in your in your education, in the computers, the monitors, the microphones, all that stuff, and then in the travel and and the physical toll it takes on you, let alone you know the cost of flights and hotels. So I think it's really, really important, whilst you're enthusiastic and whilst that's the good thing, to think quite strongly about why why you really want to do this and do you really want to? Because after that, you can start to say, is this, do, do I want this to be a full-going concern or is it really kind of around the realm of hobby? Is it something that I want to ultimately have as my full-time um, job or business or is, is it a hobby for me do I want to just learn new things in the case of a podcast do you really just want to get to know new people and build up a new set of skills do you want to get out there and get information and, and have it shared with people I mean without giving you know too much away from that upcoming podcast with Erica Heidi you know one of the things she spoke about with with writing and with writing technical tutorials and blogging was you have to have the willingness and enjoyment to share with other people. If it's a mechanical process, if you're kind of just doing it for cash, then is, is it really the right choice? I mean, ultimately, that is only something that you know you can decide. I just want to strongly encourage you to think about that carefully because it's so important, because it's the foundation from which so many other things spring. Now, Let's assume that you've decided to go ahead with this. You've had a good think about it. You've thought it through. You've, you've defined some, you know, some, some broad metrics for yourself. And those things can be a bit difficult at first because everything's new. So I won't get into specifics of, of goals and so forth as such. But you've, you've thought it through. You've got an idea in mind of, of where you want to head and, and you're open minded to explore how it may progress. The question is, you're starting out, right? and everything's new, it's Greenfield. What do you do? Now, if taking blogging as, as an example, you may have heard about two really excellent sources being ProBlogger and CopyBlogger. Now, if you're even partly familiar with both of them, they, they really don't need an introduction. They're two really excellent sources that will give you an absolute plethora of information and resources and books and courses, you name it, about blogging and being a star blogger, if that's where you want to go, and being um, and the mechanics on on the, the case in the case of Coffee Blogger about how to write great copy, how to write a fantastic headline, how to start, how to have your middle, your body, your meat of your of your argument of your article, and how to conclude how to create a promise to your reader and then fulfill that, how to, how, to, how to attract them to your article and not have them click on someone else's. Now, along with that, there are so many other resources and touching, you know, I guess, focusing on these blogs just primarily, being, I guess, around so long and, and having such a whole lot of quality, there's so much information and you can get lost in it. And if you just been at this for even a little while, I wouldn't blame you if you have that feeling that you you started out with the best of intentions to really learn and, and, and get stuck right in and educate yourself so that you can do what you do really well, but now you're feeling overwhelmed. You know, sometimes even the best information can just deluge you and you just sort of say, ah, oh, I just don't know what to do. Now I've gone from 
not knowing what to do, to having so much information, I feel paralyzed. So I do not, you know, I, I, I want to do what I can in this episode, focusing around a few key points to help you get started, to help you, you know, make, make a crack along the way. Now, I admit I've talked about blogging, but the real thing I want to talk about is is full, you know, is, is expanding on or introducing into the fireside chat, which is what Gary and I talk about, about building a brand and building a reputation. Now, I've talked about it previously, and my motivations are still those that I believe personally a brand is an excellent thing to do, no matter who you are, whether you are a corporate ladder climber and that's what you will do till the end of your career, if in this day and age you can say that, or you're more like me, you know, you're not quite that person, you're more the independent style, you're more the freelancer, the, uh, dare I even say, free spirit. You know, if it doesn't matter where you are along that, I, I personally believe in this modern age, with the cost of tools being as, as small as what they really, really are, building a brand is is the probably the best thing you can do for your career aside of learning what it you know learning what your craft is whether that's programming or writing which which I I do and talk so much about or anything else you know woodwork marketing sales personal fitness interior decoration you know whatever it be it's brilliant because I, I truly believe it can help set you apart it can help distinguish you from everybody else it can help you get the exciting, interesting work as, as I was banging on about last week. Now, personally, I want to look at one particular thing to help you establish a brand. Sorry, I've just said that and I actually meant two. And these two things are firstly, having a blog and secondly, promoting that on social media. Now, these are topics that every man and their proverbial dog have written about. But I, I, th- I still think that it's worth talking about, it's worth recapping, it's, it's worth covering. And the reason for that is that they are essential. You know, if you look at blogging and what Coffee Blogger and others talk about as content marketing, it's essential to, to you, you know, it's essential to, to have that sense of a home base where you can identify or establish yourself as an expert, as an authority, or as just someone who's very, very passionate about a particular topic. You have the opportunity to have full control, to have full autonomy in in building that that core brand aspect, which is, you know, which is effectively, most commonly, blog posts. You can set out the course, if you want, if you're, if you are so inclined as to be so, um, thorough in your planning, a whole year's content calendar where you map out the, you know, the, the areas that you're going to talk about this year. Maybe that's a bit much. We could look at three months or six months, but you get the opportunity over that period of time to take what you already know, to take the experiences that you have in your existing career and to build on those and to learn new things. To, to build, oh, how could I, how could I describe it best? Um, a foundation of knowledge, a foundational resource, which really shows your quality, which shows the quality of your character, which shows just how good you are. And now, 
This isn't necessarily, and I'm not necessarily talking about just technical knowledge. Say, for example, with Erica Heidi, when she talks a lot about Vagrant and Ansible and DevOps. You know, those are great skills. Or if you look at, at Troy Hunt with security, yeah, that's one part of what I mean. And so someone can say, or you can you can um, gain that that mind share as the person or as one of the key authorities that know about that topic. So when people think of a topic, they they sort of begin to increasingly associate your name with it. When they need somebody, they think of you, or you are at least one of the names in the mix. But I'm not only talking about that. I'm talking about the you know, when when you write, it's more than just tech. It's the kind of arguments that you make, the kind of arguments that perhaps you don't make, the ones you put forward, the ones you avoid. It's if your blog becomes popular, becomes perhaps exceedingly popular, you'll have discussions on there. People will read your stuff and they will put forward their ideas. And now I'm not talking about, hey, thanks for the blog post, it was really nice. That's cute, but I mean, really not important over the long term perhaps even the short term. I'm talking about someone, take for example, someone calls you out on your argument. Now, let's say your argument was rock solid, but someone disagreed with you. They perhaps vehemently disagreed with you. Let's not say that they were a troll. Let's just say that they saw the argument from an alternative position. You really put yours forward strongly. They put their case forward strongly. It shows a lot in your character how you can have that discussion. It shows a lot about how you think, the quality of your thought processes, the maturity of you as a person and in your career, how you handle that, the depth of your discussion, the depths of your thoughts, the depths of your arguments, how you weight it, how you respond to them, particularly how you handle that situation. So that's that's what I'm saying. You with, with a with a personal blog, you get the opportunity, whether you appreciate it as nuanced as it can be, to really show the broad range and the broad depth of you as a person. Now, in addition to that, you also get to build a reference over time that helps you continue to develop. Whether it's something that I, I, I had the, the good pleasure, good fortune of having, when I look back and saw just how much I'd written to date, and felt a sense of pride in that, which then motivated me to continue going. Whether it was kind of like a trip down memory lane to see just how far I'd come since my first rather <laughs> awkward posts. Hey, we're, we've all been there. You know, whether it's looking back at things that you didn't write well, you didn't uh, argument well enough or didn't think through, but learn from that. You know, all these, all these experiences help you to do better and they show how quickly you can grow and how rounded you are as a person. So that's the first thing I really want to encourage. And and also, I, I, I want to throw in that old chestnut that a personal blog, when it's not hosted on like WordPress.com, Tumblr, uh, Google Plus and other places, something that you self-host, despite there can be more effort, it's something you can control. You're not at the beck and call um Back and call not the right word. You're not at the hands of someone else. You're in control of the hosting. So if they change their decisions, you can continue on. You know, you're not all of a sudden left. So I would encourage you, 
firstly, to start your own blog and, and to write, or alternatively, to writing, perhaps video is your thing or, or audio, like a podcast is your thing. Start something, build a library around your specialty, let it grow, stick with it, be with it, and get out there and, and build it so that people come to know who you are, you become an, an authority or a, or a genuine source, a genuine giver of your ever-growing knowledge to the wider community. And so through doing, through that, that pay it forward, you know, you, you in turn, in the long run, give to yourself. Now, look, it may take some time, it may take some years for it to, to gain traction. But from my own experience and from the experience of others, if you stick with it, if you grow and expand and continue to do better, in time, more often than not, success and, and really interesting success will come your way. You know, I'm just putting that out there. It's happened to me. And I just, I believe it can happen, you know, for you as well. And now onto my second point, and this is the use of social media. Yeah, just one way of promotion, but uh, social media, I guess it's the one that I've had the most experience with. Now, social media are an, an odd thing, right? And I'm, I'm going to kind of talk it through the lens of Twitter because Twitter's the one that I know most. It's, it's the social media platform that most of the people that I, I spend time with or chat to on a regular basis, um, or ultimately usually get to know that's, that's where they are. So I'm not discounting Google Plus. I'm not discounting LinkedIn. Um, Pinterest a little because it, it, it doesn't really seem to click with, with what I do. But if you're into it, fantastic. Um, Facebook, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go out there and I'll, and I'll say this. I, I am discounting that a little because whilst other people say that they have fantastic success with it, personally, I haven't. Um, I, I find that it is a very murky medium because it's this massive, massive news feed of, of what are they at, like over a billion people? Or, I, I, sorry, I just don't keep track of the numbers. And then how do you kind of keep track of all that, like all the things? You know, what kind of grouping mechanisms do you need? Okay, Twitter, yeah, sure. Like you get how many thousand posts per couple of minutes? You could say the same thing applies, but there's just something about Twitter that I just find it's easy to work with. So I'm just saying Facebook, I don't get. Call me out if, if, you, if you feel I'm completely wrong or missing the boat. Anyway, that being said, I, th- I think here's my thing for social media. And it's something that, that Gary talks a lot at. It's, I think with social media, it's, it can be a natural extension of that, of that blog. It can be, an, it is a natural extension of you as a person. Because, you know, you think about the name, right? It's social media. We're social creatures, we're social animals. It's another way of, of just communicating. Now, if, like anything else, you know, you, you don't just kind of rock up somewhere new, start blagging about yourself, this is what I've got going on, this is what I did today, because what are most people going to do? They'll look at you and probably just, well, depending which culture they're from, they'll tell you off. Um, they'll tune off, walk away, just ignore you, right? So I think it's it's important to just be you, you know, and, and not consider it as anything different from any other conversation. You know, there's groups there who are interested in the things that you're interested in. There are groups there who aren't. 
honestly, go find the people as you would um, if you were if you're moving somewhere new and we're, and we're setting up friends again. Take the same approach, right? You know, what are you interested in? What do you do? What do you love to do? What do you want to get to do? You know, depending on where you are on, on your journey. And go find the people that do that. Go find the people who are already doing what you do, only so much better. And I would honestly suggest at first, unless you're a very gregarious, very extroverted person, don't necessarily just dive in and, and, and start chatting. You know, I'm not saying being a lurker either. You know, make yourself known, be there. Talk, follow people, because following people, you know, you you get noticed. Perhaps not a lot, but you get noticed that you, you start to get in there. And people start to kind of see your name, they see your avatar, gravatar, icon, social media picture. Note, you are using like like a consistent picture and gravatar and brand across all the things you're doing, right? Consistency, it's it's a definite, it's something you want to do. Um, and so then, you know, you, you then you be in the conversation, kind of like you're, you're, you're quote, physically present, and then you start being involved in the conversation. Um, and then you start to be there. So like when you start to participate, people start to remember you, you know, you, there's an interesting conversation. You put in your two cents worth. I'm assuming though, your two cents is worthwhile. It's valuable. It's not just me too, you know, rough rubbish. Get in there, be involved, make worthwhile contributions because ultimately, you know, we're, we're, we're social creatures. We, we really do our best when we work together, when we all help each other out. So get in there and, and, and like with, with blogging and, and podcasting and so forth, where you, you share your knowledge to help others, same thing applies. And through this, like we do in the, in the real world, you network, you, you build up your connections, you, you build up the amount of people who know you, the people who you know. And you, what would you say? If you were cynical, you'd say curry favor with them by, by helping them out when they need a hand, by once again sharing your knowledge. Now, this doesn't need to be knowledge um, which is written through your blog posts. It can be knowledge, you know, lots of links that you find interesting through your daily RSS feed, things that you hear in conversations, perhaps um, just with friends on IRC, Slack channels, various other channels like HipChat. You know, things that you find interesting, things that you find topical, share those things. You know, get those things out there. But I'd encourage you to think before you share it, just ask yourself, is this worthwhile? Is this practical to the people who I'm interacting with? And then, you know, after a period of time, it, it, it can feel a little bit like you're kind of creating noise. You're creating white noise, things that aren't helpful. But I think you can just throw away a lot of that if what you're doing is genuinely motivated by trying to help. So you got, so here you've got a couple of things. You've gotten to know people, you're in the conversation, and that means being you. That means, you know, having a laugh, having a chat, talking about stuff which doesn't relate to, to your particular specialty. And then it involves getting in there and, and sharing the information that you do know and sharing information that you found around what you do know. And I personally believe through doing all that, you will gain a reputation, whether you see it, whether you appreciate it or not, as a, as a valuable person in your community. And then, you know, as, as you're doing all that, 
I really don't see any harm and I would then honestly encourage you to share because it's only logical to do so, your own posts because they're valuable too. Little by little, you start to gain traction. You start to see people retweeting your stuff, favoriting your stuff. And naturally, you know, if people have larger networks, you will gain traction. But don't discount the people with smaller ones, the new people, because you had to start somewhere too, right? And you never know who people know. It's that Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation that LinkedIn, I believe, is built on. So I'd encourage you to, to, to share your own stuff less, but don't necessarily feel shy about sharing it. If it's valuable, if it's worthwhile, share it. You know, get it out there. Don't feel any. Don't feel abashed about asking people to retweet it. You know, you, I'm assuming you put a lot of effort in whether researching or the, during the writing process, the editing process, to really make it really kick ass, to really make it an awesome piece. Well, then what's the harm in in asking people to share your stuff? You know, don't always do it, but for the most part, go for it. And now I hope you can see that, you know, there's a thread running through that, which is is the giving first, is sharing what you know, being a valuable member of your community. Having a good motivation, which isn't necessarily all about you. As as many millionaires I've spoken to have said, the reason we got here is because we helped a hell of a lot of other people first. We got our gains by helping others. As other people in the PHP and wider tech community have also said that same thing. We got where we are really because we helped out the rest of the community. You know, it's a give first, get later thing. So I'd encourage you, if you're just starting out, really have a think about that. Consider your motivations, consider why you're doing it, and then really put your best foot forward and network like you would in in the you know in in the in real life. That term always feels a bit weird. Um, and then get in there and share the best stuff that you can find. Don't be a me too, really. Don't share stuff just because. Share stuff that is relevant, that is pertinent, that is valuable, that you really believe other people in the community can benefit from. And once again, I believe if you consistently do that on a regular basis, in a, unfortunately, I can't give you a time frame. It's different for everybody, like, like you know, health and, and dieting and stuff and exercise. But I believe in a certain period of time, you'll get traction, opportunities will come your way. They're different for everybody. I wish I could be more specific. But I believe if you are a valuable contributor to your community, you know, people will want to share your stuff. People will want to be involved with you. So give good quality. Don't tweet what you ate for breakfast, unless it was absolutely stunning. And, and then maybe just leave it for Facebook. Um, yeah. And I reckon that will set you off to a fantastic start as a freelancer, in building a brand, in building an awesome reputation, and hey, in any career you have. Now, I have blagged on at, at a bit of length there. Thank you for listening to, to my, my extroverted tones. And now, I am excited, as I always, always am, to introduce my guest. As I said earlier, my good mate, Zend Framework Aficionado. G'day, Gary. And Rove Stallworth, Mr. Gary Hocken, he's 
Guy, that's G-W-H on Twitter, Mr. Gary Hocken, and our fireside chat. And I'll see you afterwards. All right, so first question is, you've been freelance and full-time, sorry, full-time, freelance, and back to full-time again? Yep, yeah. Um, so I guess this kind of strange situation at uh, Jack Brains is that I'm a full-time contractor, so I don't actually work for JetBrains. I still have my own payroll company, um, but I am full-time employed in a loose way by JetBrains as the developer advocate for PHP Storm. So while I get the benefits of full-time, I'm not actually sort of on JetBrains payroll then yeah. for tax purposes. So I still have to maintain my own limited company here in the UK, pay, you know, manage my own accounts, do my own uh, taxes, etc., etc., etc. So it's a kind of fluid situation at the moment. Okay. Um, but yes, to go back to the original question, I did start work um, full-time and then went um, completely freelance. So mm-hmm. um, multiple customers, more of a consultancy than um, anything else. And then, um, yeah, I flipped back to being in a more one one customer full-time role so to speak okay um given that and i hope you don't mind me mentioning you know that you've got you know wife and kids what yep. what was i'm guessing there was like an initial reluctance to go freelance to to leave that sense of security at first or yeah. what was it yeah, so what was that like like what kind of um, uh, convinced you to to say okay well let's do this and see how it works it was it was like um, the guys who um, I, w- I was working with uh, at Rove before I was working at Rove. So Evan Curry and um, Marco Pavetta and Ben Schultzen in particular mm-hmm. um, were kind of encouraged me for a long time to say like, look, you've got really marketable skills here. You you should be and could be making a lot more money in the freelance world than you are currently making as a an employee of a of a company. Mm-hmm. I was I was. Really um, thinking about it for probably around 18 months, definitely over a year, maybe not 18 months, but it definitely was over a year when I was trying to think about taking the plunge. But um, I was fairly happy in a job as a chief technical officer for a company in in Swansea. So it was, you know, no traveling, really. I was just 15 minute, 20 minute drive or 40 minute on the bus to to an office. Working from home was an option. So I was quite happy. Um, I wasn't earning a fortune because pay in, in Swansea isn't great. It's just location-based, no nothing else. But, I, you know, I was fairly happy with what I was doing. But the more time went on, the less happy I got with the job. Um, it, it was um, not not a personal thing, but I just didn't feel like the job was for me anymore. The, the direction the company was going was different from my personal um, aims in life. So it, it kind of pushed itself really it kind of forced that my hand was forced somewhat I knew I wanted to leave and Evan was constantly on to me telling me how you know I can get you work no problem at all come and join Rove we can we can get you some some stuff so yeah I guess then it it was just a natural point for me to just make the leap really okay um so when after you made that leap were there any moments when what would you say like buyer's remorse or yeah, I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. And do you mind sharing? I don't know one or two, maybe not the worst ones. Or 
No, it's fine. I, I mean, I'm, I've always been kind of open about this stuff, so yeah. it's not a problem at all. I, I, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, the biggest problem I had was that I, I, because I was a chief technical officer for a company, um, I had a, like a really, really long, um, what we call in the UK a notice period, where you give your intention to leave, but in your contract you have to continue working for a, a length of time, and I had three months between giving my intention to my employer to leave mm-hmm. and actually being able to walk out the door, um, which is a long time, obviously. Yeah. It's a long time to be working in a job. You don't, you've given public um, intention that you don't want to be working there anymore. So it's a heck of a long time, you know, to be fair. So it, it wasn't like if I had a week's turnaround, then a job could have come up and Evan could have said to me, okay, give your notice in, you can start in a fortnight or something. Mm-hmm. I basically had to can my notice in and then work for, you know, six, eight weeks before I could be placed in a, or find a freelance gig because nobody, very few people are willing to wait three months for a consultant or a freelance um, developer to become available, right? As you yeah, know sure. yourself, yeah. typically they they want you tomorrow, you know, when they come to the point that they want to bring um, an, a, an expensive consultant or freelancer in, they tend to be in the point where they need you yesterday, not in three months' time. So yeah, agreed. It it, it was immediate um, scary stuff um, because I was basically, um, I, I think my camera's cutting in and out, but I guess we can deal with that. That's fine. Um, right. Yeah, it, it was immediate. It was an immediate, like, what have I done? Because I was quitting a job with nothing lined up at the other end, which is really, really, really scary stuff. Um, but to be fair to Evan, you know, he said we'll be able to find you work. And I started off doing some pretty boring bits and bobs, but immediately um, found some full-time work. And, yeah, everything was was almost immediately okay. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way, you know. Um, I'm, I pretty much started working with Zend um, fairly soon after I became available. In fact, I think that got lined up within the last couple of weeks of me um, basically, uh, working my notice at Yango. So yeah, it all yeah. worked out okay. But I, I yeah, I, I still think now have I done the right thing? You know, uh, interesting. I still think like three weeks before I started working for um, Jet Brains, and I was working um, for the UK government contract. Yeah. I'm still thinking, why am I doing this? You know, when you you're feeling ill and you're thinking, well, I can't afford to take time off, blah, blah, blah. All those freelance um, bugbears Mm. for somebody like me who is incredibly poor at managing the financial side of my business, you know, illness and holidays and all that stuff, which is why this JetBrains gig is kind of a perfect middle ground for me. Mm -hmm. So I should, um, like, so now we're mentioning Rove a bit, I should, I'll give a bit of a a plug in the show notes, um, a bit of a shout out. Why not? Hi, Evan. Um, <laughs> um, so okay, if that was the, say, potentially sort of one of the, the most negative points about it, what would you say was maybe like a really good experience? Something that said, yeah, this is definitely why you want to be doing this. Um, the money is like the number, you know, let's not, no pun intended, PHP, mm. but let's not forget about the elephant in the room. You know, the money is massively, massively better, um, mm working freelance than it is working full-time in my experience i i I guess that there's places you can work where 
Um, it's not such a massive gulf, but for me, coming from South Wales, where pay is particularly poor, mm-hmm. um, working, I think, my personally, I think, um, and this is completely anecdotal based on my own experiences, but I personally think that um, US pay more than Europe for competent developers is my personal experience. Yeah. Um, and particularly um, UK is not the best paid in Europe for competent developers. Um, and then obviously South Wales being not like one of these mm. hotbeds of development in mm-hmm. the UK, you know, London, obviously, yeah. and Manchester is quite a nice hotbed there mm-hmm. where there's a lot of competition. So salaries are good. Mm-hmm. The, the further you get away from those cities, the worse the income gets. So for me to go from working on site in the UK mm-hmm. to go in to work remote for a US company, the difference was like massively pronounced. So like chalk and cheese. Yeah. Um, so yes, let's not beat around the bush. The money was incredibly beneficial and much, much better. Um, but also I did a ton of work where I was just like, I had three or four people where I was just doing two or three hours a week with three or four people and just mentoring them. They just, mm. you know, ping me on Skype and just do a 20 minute phone call and they were paying for to have a paid mentor and just somebody to bounce ideas off. Oh, yeah. And you know, I did a lot of training work and all that stuff I found really, really rewarding. Now, that's not to say you couldn't be doing that as a full-time career, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. personally, I found that just this sort of dipping in and out with multiple clients and helping multiple people was really cool, which I, you know, really miss that now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all been good. The The difference is, again, is atypical, as you know yourself, working with Rove, it's not like you're just this one man against the world. We have the the, the backroom discussion, the camaraderie, the kind of um, office banter type thing goes on. So you're not just one guy at a computer working with multiple clients. So there's, you know, there's not a lot to miss. Mm-hmm. The only thing I miss, you know, everything was good, except for not being paid when you're not well or not being paid when you can't work. Yeah, true. Well, that's really the only negative I can say. Okay. To yeah. be honest. Yeah, it's it's definitely something of. Um, I think I I always thought I'd just get used to it, and, um, no one just kind of you know sort of bring the wife into it too much. But you know, sort of our perspectives on it because she's quite the that, uh, you know, like the the salaried employee, and. So we sort of look at it differently. So I had that one of, you know, us seeing it from different perspectives. And also then my own of sort of getting, of really getting used to it. Like I sort of thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I know it's different, you know, sort of doing some air quotes here. Um, but then knowing it and actually living it, I don't know how to describe it better. But when you actually appreciate that difference and saying you have to do all these things yourself and that your income isn't going to be flat sort of over every yeah. fortnight a month, it might be flat if you average it over, say, a quarter, a half year. Yeah. But then you get that, like, at, at the moment, it's, it's quieter at the moment. But then previously, it was just, it was massive. Yeah. And so uh, you're sort of getting used to the fact of, okay, if I think of it longer term, it's it's fine. But if you, yeah, you think of it short term, it's sort of, okay, is this a good idea? Yeah. And then, like you say, getting used to, okay, I'm, I'm just sick because, like I say, I was, I was sick last week. Okay, does that affect things, or have we set aside enough? And and yeah. Whereas before, you don't, you know, you don't have to think about it. It's just I'm sick. Here's the doctor's note for more than two or three days, mm. and you're okay, assuming yeah, you've got sick days left. 
Yeah, and the other thing, of course, which I haven't mentioned, which is the only reason I haven't mentioned it is because, again, it's a stress that Rove took away from me, mm-hmm. um, is that when you come to the end of a contract, if you're doing a six-month piece, piece of work, I know that um, you tend to do more piecemeal um, stuff, and, and but I was tending to do larger blocks of work for a single client, and mm-hmm. there is... When a client goes away and leaves a hole in your schedule, obviously it's a case of trying to find someone to fill that hole because yeah. you don't want to be only working 10 hours a week. You want to be working your 40 hours a week or whatever. You've decided that's what you want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never actually experienced any real lull um, okay. because I was constantly marketing myself and constantly on the lookout for new opportunities and constantly... Um, trying to line up my next piece of work as early as I possibly could. Mm. Um, but, I mean, obviously, for some people, that's incredibly stressful. So For some people, making sure you have enough work is a huge downside to mm. freelancing. Um, and I know people who've given up be- because they just can't manage the self-promotion and the constant marketing and constant um, lead following up and just just all because you know basically you you're doing two jobs you're doing the job of a developer plus the job of somebody in sales or promotion or um you know somebody trying to go out there and find your next piece of work yeah and then of course if you if we were all just complete individuals you're also doing the job of um your accountant to chase up invoices and make sure everything gets paid and you know so it can be very very stressful Again, I don't want to keep banging on, but we've got Priscilla at Rove who takes away one whole layer of stress, which mm-hmm. is getting the contract signed and getting the money paid into the Rove bank account, mm-hmm. You know, which is, again, a reason that it's been much less stressful and I don't have a lot of negatives to say mm-hmm. about that kind of area of work. Um, but it's definitely something to consider. If you were considering making the leap, um, you, know, you need to have all these skills or you need to employ somebody or pay somebody to, to do those skills for you um on the yeah it's it's that isn't something sorry i'm i'm meandering for a second no no please it's fine um on the on the point of promotion i guess it's that is something that a very of all the skills i guess you need that would have to be the one i think i personally sort of lend to slowest um i mean for managing like other than what uh priscilla does Huge plug. It's amazing. Um, in case she's listening. It's... I've, I've got a program. I think it's uh, Free Agent. And for the most part, it's like this sort of super contact project uh, manager, which then you can link projects and time to invoices and credit notes and all that jazz. And I did enough basic accounting to appreciate how to categorize things and yeah. what is, you know, what shouldn't shouldn't go where. And then, but also know, like, know where my knowledge stops and my wife's a finance manager. So it's, okay, I'm stuck about this. Where do I, where do I put that so I don't get some wrap over the knuckles yep, tax yep. time? But that, but focusing on that area of promotion. And you said, you know, you're always on, on, on the hop. It wasn't something you sort of ever let go. What are, are there like, is it a simple thing for you? Is it, is it, okay, what would you do exactly to always, be on the hunt, if you will. Um, like for me, this it's just fun to be interacting with people on Twitter, to be blogging, to be. So I guess there's two sides of it. The passive side is to build your own brand and to make sure that if somebody was thinking, 
oh, we need somebody to come in and do some training on Zen Framework 2, then Gary Hawking is the first person that they immediately think of. Mm -hmm. So there's that kind of passive side. And to do that, obviously, you need to to do all the things that you can do to make yourself be thought of as a leader in a field or an Mm -hmm. expert on a topic, which... Because, like, I guess 90% of developers have imposter syndrome to try and think of yourself as being an expert in anything is difficult. Mm. Um, Certainly, it was a big hurdle for me to get over to think, oh, people look up to me as an expert in something. But, you you know, you we've all got skills. And if you want to be a successful freelancer, um, I've argued black and blue with other freelancers i believe that the best way to get off is to get yourself a niche and to get yourself thought of as being a market leader a field leader in something Mm -hmm. so for us i mean for you and i because we work together it's kind of zen framework too has been the, the the way that i made myself um an expert in a field realistically um but i think that the kind of passive marketing is to blog around a topic and even if it's just general php i guess you don't need a niche but to to make sure that if if you're asking um consultant or freelancer rates to make sure people can vindicate the fact that you're worth those rates Mm. so tweeting on stuff blogging being on these kind of podcasts speaking on topics which is you know difficult for some people some people don't like to stand up in front of their peers and to to talk on topics but if you can do those kind of things that Mm. makes the passive marketing kind of much more uh much easier Mm. I mean, I find all these kind of things fun generally. So that kind of bit is painless for me. Mm. Um, but then obviously there's the actively marketing yourself, making networks of contacts. And when you have time, making sure those people know that you're available because then work can find you. Mm. Um, even finding a good um, agency, if that is a good way to get into freelancing. So working contracts. Um, which is the job I was doing before JetBrains was was for the um, the UK Ministry of Transport, which is just an agency contract. Um, yeah, granted, we went directly to source, so we were working. Rove was the agency, effectively, but you know we placed two other people through an agency into that into that project. So finding a good agent is a way that you can remove the marketing. They obviously take a cut, which means that you earn less slightly less money but it's a good way to reduce the downtime and they'll be it's in their interest to keep you busy through them so they can be finding work for you so that's kind of a way to remove the marketing um lots of people love that kind of work that's a good middle happy medium where Mm -hmm. you're still a freelancer and you're still earning really good rates but you're not like hanging completely out there on your own yeah um yeah, just basically, I spent a lot of time emailing people, keeping up to date with what was going on, and trying to make sure that um, when people needed any Zen Framework 2 consultancy, that I was the person they came to, um, both passively and actively. Mm. I think um, Yitz Wilroth, the code rabbi, says that he spends about a quarter of his time. I'm sorry, Yitz, if I've misquoted you there. I think you said you spend about a quarter of your week actively um, panning out for leads and, and, you know, replying to maybe um, blog posts if you think something's slightly wrong, tweeting answers to questions people have, stack overflow, replying to questions, basically keeping your stock 
um, okay. height. Yeah. Because that was the thing I was going to look at is because I do blogging um, and tweeting a lot. Tweeting of sometimes I've kind of found like I really get it. Sometimes it just seems to be like I'm not sure if I'm even doing the right thing here at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think with Twitter, the best thing you can do is just be yourself. And even if, even if that's not what you think the bra- is doing the best for you, yeah. you know, you know me, I'll argue with people on Twitter all day long and I, and I'll, you know, I'm not, I'm myself. I'm definitely myself with the volume turned like up to 110%. But I, yeah. I never, I never say anything on Twitter that isn't my own opinion or my own beliefs. I never lie. I never tweet something I don't think is factual just for effect, unless it's a blatantly obvious joke. You know, mm. obviously I'm not saying I've never ever said any untruths on Twitter. Of course I have. But yeah. if I'm in an argument or if I'm um, I, I, I'm in a discussion about something, mm. then I'm only giving my own opinions. I may be giving them in a, a more abrasive or more you know vocal or more amusing or more sarcastic way than mm. I would if we were having the discussion in person, which I think is okay. You know, personally, some people don't. But definitely try and be myself, mm. but just a bit more sort of exaggerated version of my personality um, is what works for me. But I, I don't think that – I think Twitter as a medium is somewhere where your personality needs to come out, you, you know, and then I think you're doing it right. But that's just my opinion. Other people have had success um, with completely other, uh, you know, complete other ways of doing it. Yeah, because I see, like, I look at different people, um, so, and different people and different takes on it, and some, like, you know, skipping the ones that seem to be just, like, blatant spam, like, I have this, buy this, and that's all, and not that that's bad, but when that's all it seems to be, it's just like, I've just produced this, I've just done this, it's like, yeah, great. But, but I don't see why anyone would follow you if that was all you were doing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have those kind of posts. I yeah. will definitely tweet when I blog or create a video or, you know, of course I will. Mm. Of course I will try and use tweet to advertise something that maybe I'm mm. selling or even myself. I'm available. Yeah. Come hire me. But if that's all you do, why would anyone ever follow you? You know, you need to be entertaining, informative or something so that people will continue to read what you post well that's exactly it. that's what i was thinking you know for those things that are just me 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 it's like all right we'll just scrap those ones yeah but you see some people it's a general i am sorry that's the one end and then skipping at the other end i'm eating a piece of toast kind of thing you know? yeah <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll skip the extremes come in yeah. the middle um and some are like you know they're just having a general chat yeah did this yeah did this and it's not uh it's just really, really broad. Then there's others like Troy Hunt, who you mentioned. Yeah. And it is, uh, it's a conversation, but he's quite focused. Like he talks yeah. about security and his talks and things related to that and the experiences and stuff. So it is quite, it's, it's really, it's, it's a solid conversation, but focused around a topic. So, you know, if you sort of tuned in there, you'd know exactly yeah. what you're going to get. Um, but like I say, he, he, has this broad um, mashup of here's the things that I've done and here's a whole lot of helpful stuff around it as well. And that always... Yeah, with, yeah. I guess with Troy, um, so Troy Hunt is a Microsoft MVP uh, ASP.NET developer and a Australian guy who's kind of the go-to guy in Australia when they need somebody to talk about web security. You know, he's a really... He's a really cool, funny, 
entertaining guy um, who's got a proper pedigree in web security. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you don't tend to see Troy tweeting a lot about, um, oh, uh, you know, just gone here with my family or, oh, um, yeah, just had a nice piece of toast for breakfast. You, you, I tend to think with Troy, I don't want to miss any of his tweets because they tend to all be kind of nuggets of gold, mm. if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't tend to see him tweeting anything outside of his uh, expertise then or his area of knowledge, mm. which is one way to do it. Um, but personally, I tend to like the people who tweet more personal stuff because you get a feeling for who the person is as well as the nuggets of gold. But then you may miss something um, that you know you wish you'd seen so it's it is definitely a fine balancing act you're right everything troy tweets is pertinent and informative and or entertaining mm -hmm. you know because he's calling out people who've got bad security on forms on the web big companies small companies it's all good entertainment there and um, particularly for us web developers who like nothing more than to see a big brand caught out with you know clear text passwords or something mm -hmm. so yeah it's I think that he's so focused that it definitely works for him. I don't think that would work for me. Okay, but you reckon that sort of that some combination of those perhaps is a good yeah, way yeah, for you know if you're saying you know I'm I'm I don't know, you know you're promoting yourself. This is what you do, building a sense of a brand, um, and being trying to you know trying to keep in people's mind with so forth with that you're there and you're you're around. Some kind of combination of those two might be the best. I think so. I think, I think that I'm, Troy can get away with it because he's a market leader, world market leader across multiple technologies on a topic that is incredibly important. I'm not ever going to be able to get away with just tweeting on Zenframework 2 or PHP or PHP Storm as it is now because I've just got not enough knowledge, not expert enough, not entertaining enough couldn't really say anything that people would want to hear. I'd be tweeting once a week and then, you know, what's the point in that? So yeah, I try and tweet a bit, a bit more personal, you know, personally a bit more about my, you know, my family, a bit more humorously. Um, and of course there's interacting with other people who I follow, which still counts, you know, yeah. whether you agree or disagree or just want to wind someone up, but you know, it's, it's just fun yeah. basically for me. So it's also distracting, but it is fun, you know, let's be honest. So it's, right. I, you need to get to Troy's level before you can tweet that focused, I think. Um, again, it's just an opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Um, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to, to, to hear if um, if anyone else has got any opinions on that, because it's an interesting topic. Yeah, yeah, it would be to try and say, uh, what have people done and has it worked, has it failed? Or well, not maybe not fail, but you know, has it sort of made an impact? Do you, and that I guess then that's another question, but maybe for another time, is then analyzing. You know, your analyzing the impact. How do you say, okay, I've I put in all this effort. You know, I like say I, I blog, I tweet, Google Plus, all all the rest. You know, add new network as it becomes available. And how can you then be sure that you know the time that you're spending is worthwhile? And then how do you judge that? But maybe that's for another day. I think for me, the, I've seen a direct correlation between the amount of money I earn and the amount of conferences I attend. Um, mm -hmm. Even as a speak, uh, be that as a speaker or as an attendee, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think speaking um, 
it definitely helps, but it only helps because it means I can get to conferences a lot cheaper than if I'm not speaking. Mm. So I, I think, yeah, blogging's great. Um, and blogging's great if you get a foot in the door somewhere and they want to find out who you are mm. and, and what you know about a topic, then going to your blog is a great place to go. Mm-hmm. And Twitter's great for, for um, pr- uh, introducing yourself to people pre meeting relationships and keeping relationships going so people mm. i've met in person keeping them ticking over until the next time you meet is what i see twi- you know twitter being for me mm. but really just meeting people in person having a beer with them having a chat um is the be all and end all for me of mm. how to make sure that people are thinking about you when they want to employ somebody i think or just re- or somebody asks them or oh, do you know anyone who can do this oh yeah this guy is great he's the guy you want yeah then the personal relationships are just the definite. Um, it's it's just the holy grail, really, is to get to as many events as you can and just chat to people, and you know that just works for me. Yeah, I have to say that. So, what did you think of the chat with Gary? Now, I I kind of want to apologise. I'm not sure if I kind of cut him off midstream there, but I mean, it's it's it was an hour conversation that is. That's just crammed with so much good stuff, and you know, I I felt that if I let the whole thing run, you know, it 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 at the risk of sounding bad, it it'd drag on too long. You know, I I, I want to stick to the time frame, you know, a regular um, set time frame, time length every episode, so you know, you know what to expect. So in part, I do apologise, but. In a fortnight, you'll get the next half. There is so much more gold, as as Tim Reed, my one of my podcasting mentors, would say. So I hope you'll join me then. I hope you really enjoyed what Gary had to say so far. If you did love it, if you thought Gary was a bit off, or I as, you know, I was, drop a comment, drop a comment in the show notes, and I will see you for the next episode for part two of my of my chat. I'm building a brand as a freelancer with Mr. Gary Hawken. See you then. Mm-hmm.